The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome in to another episode of the Gin Jag Podcast. I'm Jordan DeLugo, joined by Jeremy Markoski. This is a Monday edition of the show. The Jaguars fell 33-30 to the Titans on Sunday in Nashville. Seventh straight loss for the Jaguars in Tennessee. I'm not a moral victories type of guy, Jeremy. How about you? Hey, man, a loss is a loss, just like a win is a win. But, I mean, there's always things that you can look at and see you know, where the team performed well and when they, you know, didn't perform well and, and kind of take that into the next week. But uh, just like you, a loss is a loss and we've got to pick up and move on. No doubt about it. And it's a quick week. Jaguars are taking on the Dolphins at TIAA Bank Field on Thursday night in front of a national television audience. So we will uh, break that game down later in the week, probably get a, get a Wednesday episode in for you. Uh, preview on Jaguars Dolphins, but today we're going to talk primarily about Jaguars versus Titans, the good, the bad, the ugly. We'll get into all that. Big shout out to Bold City Brewery. Make sure to check them out at their downtown location on East Bay Street or at their Riverside Tap Room on Roselle. Of course, make sure to follow Jeremy on Twitter at Jeremy Markoski, myself at Jordan DeLugo, and Generation Jaguar at Generation Jag. We did just get some good news, Jeremy. Brandon Linder is day-to-day with his knee injury that uh, saw him exit the game there against the Titans. He will not go to IR. It's unclear if he'll be ready to go Thursday night against the Dolphins. We will get more info on that as the week progresses. Um, Tyler Shatley, who's been a backup interior offensive lineman for the Jaguars, came in and played pretty well there for the Jaguars And uh, the Titans maybe don't have the best defensive tackles in the game, but uh, Jeffrey Simmons is a hell of a young player. So it's not like he was going up against um, a bunch of scrubs. So good job by Tyler Shatley. Uh, It'll be interesting to see if maybe if uh, Brian Flores tries to attack the interior, knowing that Linder might not be there or how that game plan all works out. But we'll talk about that more on Wednesday. Uh, real quick though, Jeremy, some people are kind of questioning the coaching with the squib kick, uh, at the end of the half, end of the first half there. And then with not spiking it on the last Jaguars offensive drive, what did you see there? What are your thoughts? We'll start with the squib kick first. Uh, it was a little puzzling for me, um, you know, to really kind of see that call in that situation. There isn't really anything there that tells me, you can't boot this ball deep. I mean, it, it just it, it's it's a little kind of like I said, puzzling. I don't know if you were trying to just switch things up in the game, where exactly that thought came from, but I didn't think it was necessary. Now, on the flip side of things, obviously, if that goes over without a hitch, there's no harm, no foul. But it didn't. 
And like we kind of touched on, you know, before we started recording, I know that you brought this up and I'm kind of one to not necessarily pay attention to this aspect as much, but you did mention that Logan Cook has been handling a majority of the kickoff duties, uh, you know, throughout the year, which obviously, you know, isn't a huge surprise. We're seeing that a lot more these days uh, with punters and guys with big legs. But then that kind of puts into perspective on, well, if, you know, Lambeau hasn't been a guy who's been used to kicking off the tee all year, and I know that it's not really, you know, people don't think that's going to necessarily be a big deal. Maybe he was out of, you know, his comfort zone right there, doing something that he hasn't done in a while and, and maybe just boofed it. But I think if you don't make that call, you put yourself in a much better chance, you know, later on down the stretch in that game. You have a chance to win that game without those extra three points. Obviously, things didn't shape out exactly the way you had wanted it to, but that definitely altered the course of the game for sure. Yeah, it did. And I'm not a huge squib kick guy myself just because, like, it can lead to random weird plays more so to me than just booming the ball deep. And the Titans kick returner, Raymond, he's talented, but he's not like Tyree Kill or Devin Hester or something like that back there. So I I would, I would, probably would never call squib kicks just because it's not something I like. I see a lot of weird things happen with squib kicks. But the Jaguars do have it installed every week. Doug Marone talked about it. It's something they're comfortable with. They uh, see an advantage to doing it that way at certain times in the game. And Josh Lambeau gets those reps in practice doing that. So it was misexecuted. You can say it was a bad call if you want, but the bottom line is if Lambeau strikes that ball correctly, the Jaguars get out uh, of the first half without giving up that extra field goal. It definitely does. But, I mean, again, the bottom line is he didn't. He didn't strike it well, and and it obviously caused uh, a little bit of a turn in the game. I'm still, like I said, the most interesting thing to me is why. I just want to know why, because if there was a rhyme you know, to the reason and it just wasn't executed well, I can live with that. But if you're making a boneheaded call on you know, speculation of something, like maybe the Titans were looking to do some sort of, I don't know, crazy reverse, whatever you think, you know, whatever caused you to make that decision, that's what I need to know. Because if it was a boneheaded thought that also turned into boneheaded execution, then all around it's just a boneheaded move. Yeah. Like I said, they felt comfortable with it. They thought it was something that was in their repertoire. Obviously, it was not on that play. And then not spiking the ball after that big first down late in the game. What did you see there? I think you definitely spike it. I think that is the prototypical situation to go ahead and spike it. I mean, you've got time. You got a big chunk player down the field. You're moving the ball pretty well. Uh, you know, give yourself a minute to reset. Give your guys a chance to take a breather. Uh, there's no need to rush into that play right there. Set up, get your offense reset. Maybe get some fresh legs in there if you need to. Um, continue to push that ball down the field. It looks like you know they kind of got themselves out of rhythm, believe it or not, with that uh, choice to kind of just keep pushing instead of spiking it. And I'm not sure really what happened there on that interception. I'll need to look back from a different angle and kind of see what Minshew saw. But it looked like things happened a little too quickly and he was a little too jumbled and kind of made an impromptu decision that didn't work out very well. Obviously, you see the defensive lineman got up and knocked that ball back into uh, another Titans defensive player. But I think you have to take a breather there, realize the moment that you're in, collect yourself and go up to that field with a clear or up that line of scrimmage with a, with a clear head, uh, you know, and, and push forward. Yeah. I agree with you that like when I was watching the game, I'm like, all right, spike it, spike it, spike it. But, uh, after the game, Minshew did say they felt good about the play they were in and that 
he felt good about where he was going with the ball. It was just one of those things where maybe after they go back and look at it more, they could realize perhaps it wasn't the best situation. But Minshew felt like he was going to get Cole there, and it just happened that the defender was able to uh, get up and swat the ball. So it was unfortunate, obviously. Uh, I would have liked to see them spike it. Do I think it was a a fatal decision in terms of just, you know, game planning? I don't really. I think they got unlucky the defender was able to get up and hit it. Definitely wasn't a fatal move. Obviously, you can look back at a couple other blunders in that game and, you know, kind of realize you gave the Titans three and you left one on the field uh, in that missed PAT. So that's a four-point swing right there. You know, if, if things are a little bit cleaner in the first half and, and things kind of go a little better than they did, you're not necessarily in that position to lose that ball game. And then, you know, you're not in that position to have to force the ball down the field or do anything that's uncomfortable and kind of get you out of the zone. So there's a lot that can be said uh, in regards to how this game transpired and why we ended up with the loss. Yeah. No doubt about it, and this certainly falls under the bad. More bad was two muffed kicks from Chris Claybrooks. Uh, the missed PAT that Lambeau unfortunately had, obviously the squib kick we talked about, and there was one really poor punt from Logan Cook that set the Titans up with excellent field position. So um, Lambeau, real quick, it is kind of crazy just to look at it with the missed PAT and the missed squib kick. That directly led to four points and the Jaguars lost the game by three points. It's just very unfortunate for Lambeau. It definitely is. And, and you hate to see that from a guy who's been so consistent during his time here in Jacksonville. And again, it doesn't all fall on his shoulders. I think special teams as a whole, that was the ugly part of this game on Sunday. That was the, you know, the worst, you know, out of the three key phases, the Jaguars played on Sunday. I mean, like you said that the two uh, botched, uh, kick uh, catches from Clay Brooks. Obviously it doesn't put you in a terrible position, but obviously you eliminate, you know, the return and all that kind of stuff. And and then the botched punt and the onside kick and the miss PAT things definitely stacked up against the Jaguars on special teams this week. Yeah. And the one thing I'm encouraged about is the fact that Logan cook is very talented. Josh Lambeau is very talented and Joe Deacon Millis is a hell of a special teams coordinator. So I don't think this is going to be a lingering issue. They've had strong special teams for the most part over the last few years. So I'm not too worried about it moving forward, but it is something you have to address, go back and fix it and uh, move on to Thursday night football. Couldn't agree more. Like you said, special teams has been a strong suit for this team for the last few years. So uh, Logan Cook still got a boomstick. Josh Lambeau is still extremely efficient. Uh, and, you know, and you can kind of iron out those return issues. If, if you know, Clay Brooks, unfortunately, you know, that's how he made the team. If, if, if he's going to be dropping balls back there, you're going to have to move him out. And, you know, that might put his roster spot in jeopardy. But, you know, those are things that we can't have happen on a weekly basis. But confidence in Deacon Millis and the special teams unit, they're usually on key. Yeah, and Marone said he still has confidence in Clay Brooks um, and that they're going to, you know, obviously work quite a bit on that this week leading up to Thursday night. So I'm not too worried about it moving forward, but it is something we needed to address. Um, and it, it obviously affected this game in a big way. Now, more bad. The Jaguars under Doug Marone and even good going back way beyond when Doug Marone took over as head coach, they have been slow starters. It's been really frustrating to watch 
you know, covering all these games and rooting for the Jaguars, you know, from a fan perspective and from a uh, coverage perspective. But they were outscored 14-0 early in the first in this one. Last week they were, you know, just a couple yards away from being outscored 14-0 in that one. They were able to get a fourth down stop, fortunately, in week one. This week they were not able to get that stop on defense after a Gardner Minshew turnover. And it led to a 14-zip lead for the Titans early on. It's just difficult to win football games consistently when you're down in the first quarter. It really is. And the last time I remember this team, you know, quote unquote, starting quickly uh, was probably 2018. They got to that three and one start and we kind of see, you know, how that season ended. So um, I'm not necessarily going to, you know, put too much into this right now. And here's why. Week one, you go down seven, nothing. There's a, a really strong chance you go down 14, nothing and you turn the table You get a stop on fourth down. You kind of reroute the game. You come out with the victory. Week two, you do get down 14 nothing. There's a good chance, you know, they're, they're, that team folds and just, you know, game over early. And it could have gotten ugly early, but this team continued to fight consistently all the way through, put themselves in a position to win the game. Uh, you know, without a few mistakes, they might win that game. So, you know, they are starting slow in the sense that, okay, we're one and one now. We need to see, you know, consistent play, but. You know, if you want to look into that game a little bit deeper, there's a chance to win that game there, and there's a chance to be two and zero. So you have to obviously take that into consideration when you're looking at this team's start. And the next few games are really going to cap that off. If you lose this game, you know, and we come out on the other side of this of this beginning stretch, four and two, maybe you know that 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 game to the Titans is not one that you can sit back and look on, you know, as a as a tough loss. They played well against a, probably the best team in the division, if not the best team in the division and an AFC Championship squad from a year ago. So, I mean, all that has to be taken into consideration as well. Yeah, and Tannehill was just on fire, and we can talk a little bit more about that soon. But getting into turnovers, the Jaguars won the turnover battle in week 1, so did the Titans. We mentioned it. Whoever wins the turnover battle is going to have a strong chance to win the game. The Jaguars were almost able to overcome the turnover deficiencies in this one, but uh, they were not able to, coming up just short, obviously. Minshew had the interception early on, uh, throwing it. He was targeting James O'Shaughnessy down the field on an out route. Colin Johnson thought it was coming to him, and it was just too high for him. And he uh, got one hand on it. The ball popped up into the air, waiting, uh, landing in the waiting arms of rookie cornerback Christian Fulton. So that was obviously just a miscommunication. And Colin Johnson maybe being just a little bit too tall for his own good on that one. Yeah, and I mean, when you put yourself in the position of having to play from behind or make up for mistakes, uh, you know, your chances of winning the game obviously decrease. Um, and last week, you know, even with the game being, you know, as close as it was, the Colts are the ones playing catch up and trying to overcome the mistakes they made. And this week it turned out to be the Jaguars. And, you know, they damn near almost did it. They almost overcame the mistakes they made. So it definitely, you know, shows me some signs, you know, of life in this team. They didn't fold over. Uh, but, you know, again, like we said, it's going to come over to the turnover game. Are you going to be able to protect the ball, control the clock, and control the, the, you know, the flow of the game? And unfortunately, the Jaguars, you know, took a couple of missteps. Yeah, and we talked about his second interception already. Um, but he did also drop a snap under center that he uh, 
obviously needs to secure. That was in close to uh, scoring range. And then he also had another pass that really should have been intercepted by a Titans linebacker on a shallow uh, little button hook route over the middle. So when you're talking about turnover-worthy plays, you talk about what Minshew had there, you talk about the two muffed kicks that were fortunately in a position to where the Titans couldn't capitalize on them. But this is a team that really needs to... uh, really needs to just kind of hone in on taking care of the football moving forward. I mean, it's definitely all just mental. I mean, you look at the mistakes that were made. A lot of them seem to be mental mistakes. Colin Johnson throwing his hand up, causing interception. I mean, just it's just poor self-awareness. You got to know who's in front of you, who's behind you. If that ball is a little high, you kind of got to know the route tree. Obviously, a rookie mistake potentially uh, with him really not really knowing what's going on behind him. But the Jags did a lot of, of shooting themselves in the foot. So, I mean, we talked about them. Uh, you know, something that, that they can't do if they want to win a lot of games in this league this year. But I'm not sure exactly where I stand on this. Maybe you can provide some insight as well. I don't know if I'm encouraged or a little disappointed uh, by this game because on the first, you know, on the first side of things, the disappointment comes from seeing a lot of the things that the Jaguars did in the past come back to light the fumbled snap, um, you know, the miscommunication, the interceptions, the mistakes, the penalties, all that kind of stuff, you know. But in the past, those things compound on the team and they implode and they get blown out. This time, those things piled up on the team, but they kept fighting and kept finding a chance to win. So I'm not sure, you know, where I, I land on that spectrum. It's definitely a little bit uh, too early for me to tell. Kind of want your thoughts on that. But also, you know, are we going to see them bounce back and play a clean game or, or you know, this week up against the, the Dolphins? Or are things going to start to compound and kind of domino down? That's going to be a big uh, key on the season. Well, yeah, the bottom line is at this point, we don't know. The team obviously is able to fight through mistakes unlike they have been or unlike they did in the past, obviously. They're able to overcome some things. They weren't quite able to get it done this week, especially with a late interception. But you're encouraged by the fact that the team can fight through making mental errors and having turnovers and giving up big plays on defense. But you still want to clean those things up. So it's encouraging as long as moving forward into the Miami game and then to Cincinnati after that, that they do look better in terms of the mental side of holding on to the ball and not making some of those big mistakes that we've talked about. And now where does that fall, you know, in, in the hierarchy of things, is this this a coaching thing, you know, that they need to clean this stuff up and move on to next week or is is this an execution player thing? I mean, I think if you're talking about Minshew's mistakes, definitely those were on him. I mean, it's not a coach's fault if you can't handle the snap under center. <laughs> That's not on a coach. It's just not. It's on Minshew. But then, um, and obviously the muffed kicks as well, those are not on the coaching staff. Obviously, some of the things we talked about with the squib kick and the spiking or not spiking the ball, those could be looked at as coaching situations. And Doug Marone, when talking about the uh, slow starts to games, he said that that is more on the coaches than the players because the players are coming out and doing their thing, he said, but he doesn't believe that the coaches, including himself, are doing a good enough job of getting them ready to go uh, to start the game. 
Well, somebody's got to be obviously, like you said, responsible for it. I know there are some situations where it is on the player, but you know, as a coaching staff, you have to take control of this early before it gets out of hand. And I think I've always liked Doug Marone. You know, he, he as a coach, you know, the way he handles a team, I think is great. I think he's got better pieces around him this year. And Jay Gruden, I think he's a much superior offensive coordinator than what we've had in the past. Uh, and, you know, in the jury saw on Todd Wash for me, but I think, you know, it's, it's going to have to be something that they can, you know, players or coaches, because you, you've got a lot of good leadership in that locker room. I think as a team, it's going to be the biggest thing that they can, you know, have to do uh, to really make sure this keeps moving in the right direction. We've seen the mistakes. We've seen what, you know what, what's going to happen when we kind of shoot ourselves in the foot, play from behind, you know, get ourselves in bad situations. Now can we clean it up consistently moving forward and put ourselves in, in, in spots to win games? Yeah, and talking about leadership, Josh Allen's one of the Jaguars' biggest leaders on either side of the ball. Uh, he got three pressures in this one, but he still has not picked up a sack. And the Jaguars only have two sacks on the season. Uh, so far, sorry, I'm having to ignore a phone call from my wife right now. She doesn't know we're doing the podcast. A little early. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're a little early. She wasn't expecting it. But um, yeah, only eight pressures in this one, one sack from Caleb on Chasen. And that actually was on a nice little blitz play that Todd Wash schemed up there. But uh, is this more of a product of the team selling out to stop the run and not being focused enough on the pass rush? Or... What are your thoughts on that? Now, if you would have asked me without looking at last week, I would say absolutely 100% this team was selling out to stop the run and making Ryan Tannehill beat them, which he did. And what I talked about last week before the game was something that they were going to have to do. They're going to need to sell out, stop the run, do not let Derrick Henry beat you. I think they did a great job. That's one of the things I want to talk about later when we talk about the good, you know, the great, some of that stuff. But with that being said, looking back to last week, there was nobody in the backfield that you had to sell out and stop, and you still weren't getting any pass rush. So that's one of the uglies for this week as well is is just a lack of pass rush because you see guys down the field, you know, who may be in great position when it comes to coverage, but you give Ryan Tannehill four or five, six seconds, you know, that receiver makes one move, gets himself open. Ryan Tannehill can find, you know, a third and fourth read. And I think any quarterback can do that to you. This is the NFL. If you give guys four, five, six seconds to throw the ball, someone's going to get open. You know, a defender, you know, in, in the back seven might take a misstep and you might get guys out of position and that's going to happen. So you have to get the pass rush there. Back in 2017, we had great coverage, guys. We had a great secondary, but I think. It all started up front when you're only giving quarterbacks two, three, four seconds, you know, at most to make a throw. You have guys in the back half of the field that are consistently covering and and taking guys out of the play. So if you're going to sell out and stop the run, that's great. But when it comes to those obvious pass situations, you have to still be strong in the pass rush and get there. And I don't think we saw that on Sunday at all. No, we haven't seen it yet this season, unfortunately, from the Jaguars. They're obviously going to try to get off the snide in that regard on Thursday night against the Dolphins team, who has been giving up a fair amount of pressure so far. Now, talking about coverage, I thought it was pretty good, like you mentioned. You know, you can't expect these guys to cover for five or six seconds. That's just not going to happen. It's not how it works. But uh, Andrew Wingard, he got out there for his first start. I don't think that he 
played in coverage as well as he would have liked to. And I I really was kind of disappointed in, in how that all shook out. He got beat on the Johnny Smith touchdown, um, the first touchdown of the game. And then he also was in coverage deep down the field when Tannehill just corked that ball in there to uh, to Adam Humphreys uh, for another touchdown. So I don't think Wingard played as well as the Jaguars were hoping he would play. And the the negative plays he had, unfortunately, led to touchdowns. Yeah, definitely. He did not play very well at all. Um, definitely not as well as I had hoped he would play. But, I mean, as, as much as, as crazy as it sounds, you saw – Ryan Tannehill play much, much better uh, than Phillip Rivers. And I mean, I guess it's really not that crazy. Phillip's obviously on the decline at the end of his career. And, you know, Wingard's interception last week uh, definitely seemed to be a little bit of a product of, you know, a, a risky throw. Um, and you're not going to see it a lot from Tannehill, but they went after Wingard early. Uh, and he got a position and, and messed up on some coverages, obviously, as you said there. But I don't think that was the only thing that had me kind of puzzled from the defensive front. I don't know if you've seen uh, on Jonu Smith's second touchdown, the odd call to have Taven Bryant drop into coverage right there. You know, he's not going to be able to stay step for step with Jonu Smith. One misstep and he was out of position, easy touchdown. But, you know, you you, you didn't see the guys making plays that needed to. And obviously they were going to go after, uh, you know, Wingard as the young guy who hasn't seen many snaps in this league. And, I mean, they got the better of him. And, again, it goes back to what I said make Ryan Tannehill beat you, and, and he just unfortunately did. Yeah, and uh, talking about the Taven Bryan situation, I did not appreciate that call. I know Todd Wash has had some defensive linemen drop into coverage, but it looked like it was one-on-one. Uh, you yeah, know, as soon Taven as Bryan back. against Jonu Smith, so... Yeah, it didn't make any sense. He's not going to be able to cover anyone. He's not going to be able to, if he drops back and kind of sits there as a spy and maybe just forces Tannehill to look off to another guy, that's okay. But like you said, it looked like it was man. He stepped back and then stepped into Jonu Smith's hip, and that's all it took. Jonu Smith was already in front of him, and and I think it was Miles Jack on that play. Yeah. If if I'm wrong, I do apologize. I think it was Miles Jack. And, And that's exactly what you're reading in Tannehill. You're that close to the goal line. You're watching the middle of the field. So who's going to cover my tight end coming across the middle? Oh, a defensive lineman. And out of the corner of my eye, I see over here, Miles Jack, shoulders completely turned downhill towards the sideline. Even just for a split second, I know that's enough time for me to get this ball into this window and let Jonathan Smith get in the middle for a touchdown. So questionable call again, another one down there on the goal line, in my opinion. Uh, like you said, He's not that kind of athlete. Tamron Bryant is not that kind of athlete. You've had those in the past before, but you don't have it now. So some of that gimmicky stuff can get you into some bad situations. Yeah, he's a linear athlete. You don't want him moving side to side too much. He's an excellent linear athlete for the man of his size. But uh, yeah, you definitely don't want him dropping into coverage, having to move laterally. Before we get into the good, I'd like to remind everybody to check out GenJag.com for all the latest Jaguars news, analysis, videos, and of course, check out our shop. We just dropped a Duval Roar teal tea over there, so go check it out, GenJag.com. All right, Jeremy, there's a lot of good to take away from this game. Probably the most impressive loss the Jaguars have had in recent memory. I like how that term is used, most impressive loss, but... I mean, it really was. You saw a team fight through adversity. 
through their own mistakes, almost pull out a, a victory. And I think the good, the very good in this game was the way the defense was able to stop Derrick Henry through most of the game. Um, towards the end there, you saw him break off a, a couple decent-sized runs that obviously padded his stat line a little bit. But on 25 carries, you know, he only bolstered 84 yards. So, you know, when it really comes down to it, I think it was a great job of keeping him contained. That's only three and a half-ish yards per carry so you made somebody else beat you and that's exactly what you wanted to do and I saw great tackling from pretty much everybody again down there towards the end there were you know one or two missed tackles that turned a a negative negative two yard play into a 15 yard play uh, from Derrick Henry and he's going to do that you know time and time again and if you give him second opportunities he's going to capitalize on those it was one of the keys to victory for last week for me Um, but you limited that you didn't see a lot of that, and you saw them shut him down. And, and I mean, kudos to C.J. Henderson. Big props to that kid. He is not scared of contact. He'll come in and hit anybody. And he was making open field tackles on Derrick Henry that you would have never seen 20 make. So, I mean, I was thoroughly impressed with, with tackling overall and the way they sold out to stop the run. Again, the focal point of that offense is Derrick Henry. You make somebody else beat you, and if they do, you chalk it up to good football, and that's what it was, unfortunately. But kudos to the defense, great tackling, way to contain Derrick Henry. Yeah, it did look like the Jaguars coaches said, like you mentioned, we're going to make Tannehill beat us, and that's exactly what he did. You mentioned C.J. Henderson tackling well. He picked up five tackles. Like you said, excellent in run support. You got to love that. He was in coverage on the Corey Davis touchdown, but – Other than that, he had a very strong game, and he had an important pass breakup late in the game that uh, helped the Jaguars get the ball back on a third down. So I'm really thoroughly impressed with Henderson through two games. If you're a cornerback in the NFL, you're going to give up a touchdown every now and again, no matter how good you are. And when you're talking about C.J. Henderson versus a guy that was drafted before him, For the Detroit Lions, Jeff Okuda, he got torched, and he's just been getting roasted uh, up there in Detroit, unfortunately. So the fact that Henderson is playing so well so early on in his career has just got to be a very uh, big sigh of relief for the number nine overall pick and for all the Jaguars fans out there. He's been an impact player on defense. I know it's only been two weeks, but... It's something that you should expect from a top 10 pick and something that you need. This franchise needs, you know, somebody to come in and replace the talent that they've, you know, been cycling in and out. Obviously we, we lost a good one. We lost a great one. Uh, and, you know, and, and what's done is done. So CJ Henderson has, has done a great job of coming in, uh, you know, and, and filling that hole. Like you said, as a rookie cornerback in the NFL, especially in the situation that he's in, you're going to give up plays. That's fine. But I want to see you stay in the game even after you do give up a big play. And I want to see you keep playing hard. And, and by all accounts, it looked like he did every single one of those things on Sunday. You know, he got beat, but he, but he stayed in the game. And, and he made plays when it, it counted when they needed to. And again, this team almost put themselves in a position to win the game. Uh, they were this close, you know, just this close, just a fingertip, a hand away from potentially even sending that game to overtime. So, uh, you know, again, even with the mistakes, even with the blown coverages, stuff like that, you like to see guys that keep playing and keep fighting all the way through to the last whistle. Yeah, for sure. And uh, staying on the defensive side of the ball, we did see Caleb on chase on get his first sack. He didn't have to do much to get it, but 
because uh, of that blitz that the that Todd Wash dialed up on that one. But it's cool to see your other first round pick get his first sack. He was robbed of a interception last week. So good that when the opportunities are presenting themselves, he's capitalizing. He didn't get a ton of playing time in this one, again, because they were just trying to sell out to stop the run. But good for Caleb on chase on another guy on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Miles Jack, we've talked about it. He's playing weak side linebacker this year for the first time in the NFL for some reason. Who knows why the Jaguars have not figured this out until now. Obviously, Telvin Smith was playing that spot earlier on in Jack's career. But great to see Jack over there, weak side linebacker, just balling out. 11 tackles in this one, had a pass breakup. Just so good and so explosive for an outside linebacker. I think he fits obviously best outside and and I don't want to kind of take away uh, the good things that he did on the strong side when he was outside too uh, early on in his career obviously a little bit of a different dynamic um, and you know he would ne- wasn't necessarily that uh, you know sub guy in the middle but he shows great speed great range I think he's right where he to be he's been making plays left and right I think we're all on the same page that pass interference call was a ghost call I mean I didn't like it at all whatsoever there was no turning of the body there was simply feeling on the back of the receiver and seeing where he was and then using you know his his angle to really kind of get in front of that ball so you've seen great improvement from him this year I think it's all uh no a factor of scheme and putting him in the best position uh, to, to be productive. And that's exactly what they're doing with him this year. So I love it. Anything else you really wanted to highlight from the good aspect of things on the defensive side of the ball? On the defensive side of the ball, again, I mean, I, I can't really think of anything else. My best takeaway, my biggest takeaway, something that I'm sure I'll write about this week is the tackling. I was just extremely impressed by the tackling this week. Yeah, I think Josh Jones had another solid game. I'll have to go back and pay more attention on my next watch through of it. But I saw him in on a lot of tackles again, being very physical like the Jaguars want him to. But that leads us to the offensive side of the ball where pretty much everything was working for the Jaguars. Outside of those turnovers, you saw some incredible play from the passing game, from the rushing attack. I mean, Minshew, once again, is looking like a big-time quarterback for the second week in a row. I mean, if you date back to the final se- the final game of last season as well, he's now had three just sterling performances, in my estimation, in a row. His receivers are making plays. Um, it's just been a lot of fun to watch, especially some of the throws he made. Uh, the... Chris Thompson touchdown pass. Minshew just dropped it in there perfectly for Thompson. And Thompson made a hell of a catch with a linebacker draped all over him. And then the Eifert touchdown. That was a hell of a throw and a hell of a catch, too, with two defenders all over Eifert. Just, you know, throwing a laser right in there that only Eifert can go get. So Minshew, in my opinion, even though he had some mistakes in terms of the turnovers, Uh, I I don't put the Colin Johnson tipped pass on him, but obviously the other, uh, the other interception was a mistake by Menchu, but still gotta love what you're seeing from this young quarterback and his receivers. You have to be through the roof with what you're seeing. Cause I mean, let's look at the situation for what it really is. Minshew by all accounts is a second year starting quarterback in the NFL. I know he only played, you know, he didn't play a full season last year, but if you kind of take the situation 
and you don't kind of put all the you know headlines on it like last year where it wasn't you know Gardner Minshew is the starting quarterback he was always in full shadow and you, you take like I said you take it for what it is a second year quarterback making the second year jump that you want to see and I, I see some things last year that were great that he's improving on this year and, and key word here is the, the decision making I think that has been great throughout obviously you know you can kind of pin that that interception on scheme the first one that we're Colin Johnson needs to know either who's behind him or maybe you don't run that big of a receiver, you know, in between the zone uh, that could obviously, like you said, cause, uh, as you saw, cause some miscommunication and a little bit of issues there. And then, you know, kind of maybe being a little scatterbrained on, on that batted interception there at the end of the game. But you look at everything that he's doing positive and he's doing so much more positive than the previous, you know, patchwork quarterbacks we've had in the past that you have to be excited. You have to kind of take those mistakes with a grain of salt because A, they're not happening as consistently. Minshew's not going out and throwing 15 to 20 interceptions a year. And B, he's not making questionable decisions all game. We get down to the point where it's just one or two and everything else that he's doing so well, in my opinion, personally outweighs some of those mistakes. You take away some of those mistakes and it's a completely different ball game and we're not even talking about losing. And I think that can be said you know, hopefully for the rest of the year, hopefully, you know, some of these mistakes do get cleaned up, but a mistake is going to happen every once in a while. So hopefully at the end of the year, we can look back on however many games they lost. Hopefully it's not as many and we can look back and say, okay, well, you know, that one mistake that might've cost us the game, but you can accept them when they're so few and far between and they're not happening every single day. We're almost like waiting for a mistake rather than expecting one like we have been in the past, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even waiting on him. I'm just expecting him to make a great play. It's been that few and far between on the major mistakes. But uh, looking at the guys he's throwing the ball to, we mentioned Chris Thompson and Tyler Eifert making some great uh, plays in the end zone. Eifert did miss out on a couple other uh, potential touchdowns, but still you got to be encouraged by seeing him get the rock a little bit more. James O'Shaughnessy got a few catches in this one. He looked good. Uh, DJ Chark obviously had a big pass catch down the field. Uh, he got 84 or 85 yards in this one. Want to see him get targeted more uh, moving on into the season, obviously, but he's playing well. But these guys, LaVisca Chenault and Keelan Cole, they are really balling. I mean, Visca, I think he had four carries in this one, three catches, put up a, a solid stat line when you look at it, you know, the fact that he was basically the running back two and the wide receiver three. <laughs> Pretty awesome stuff there from him. And then Keelan Cole, he keep, keeps being consistent. Found the end zone again this week. He's just playing on another level right now. Absolutely, and they're carving out time for themselves in the offense. I mean, you can't say enough about the young players on this team. Uh, you know, obviously, James Robinson, the, the running back, uh, what more can you say about an undrafted rookie as your starting running back, you know, making the right plays, the offensive line, give them credit have been above and beyond their play from last year, in my opinion, from what I've seen. Uh, and then, like you said, LaVisca is just proving how much of a playmaker he's going to be in the NFL. He can line up outside. He can line up inside. He can line up in the backfield and no matter where you put him, he's a threat. So they have to build on that. I think, you know, you got to get him the ball more, for being honest, really kind of work him into the game a little bit more. And the targets will come for Chark. I think, you know, the more and more that 
opposing defenses have to respect guys like LaVisca and Keelan Cole. You'll see some more things opening up for DJ Chark, but you know, I don't necessarily think that there has to be one standout guy. I don't think you should be having to force the ball to DJ Chark. You know, let him take what's given to him. You know, hopefully he'll make some plays on his own and get himself open down the field and, and you can find him then. But keep working what's in rhythm. Keep just driving the ball, giving the ball to your playmakers, seeing what can happen. Like I said, you're seeing some of these young guys carve out their own roles in the offense. It's going to be a little bit of a problem for guys like D.D. Westbrook, who you know is, is coming up on the end of his contract here shortly. And other teams are looking for wide receivers after this big injury Sunday. So maybe you see a guy get moved here uh, pretty soon. Yeah, I definitely think there's the potential for that to happen. Who knows what they could get in return for D.D. at this point. Uh, but he's a guy that has proven he can play the slot pretty well throughout his career. Not spectacular, but fairly reliable. Now, uh, the O-line, we've talked about them. They're blocking fairly well. Uh, they allowed 13 pressures on 47 dropbacks, which is not terrible by any stretch. Pretty good, in all honesty. Um, and uh, they've been creating holes for uh, James Robinson, who he picked up his first 100-yard game of his career and his first touchdown of his career. His acceleration and burst through the hole on some of those plays was way too much for the Titans to handle, and it was just awesome to see. He's showing superior athleticism uh, to Leonard Fournette, and I know that might take some people uh, aback, uh, obviously, as I have been uh, a key um, – a key, uh, you know, I don't th- I'm, I'm blanking here on the word, but I've been very critical of that move uh, since it happened. But, you know, they're, they're putting the words right back in my mouth. He has shown the explosiveness, the the vision. You know, he, he's holding on to the ball. He's making plays. He's making guys miss. He is su- a superior athlete to Leonard Fournette. Leonard Fournette is a downhill run one direction break a few tackles, get yardage kind of guy. We saw that uh, this past weekend in Tampa Bay. Um, but it, James Robinson, is, he's just a completely different back. And I can see exactly why he fits the offense better uh, than Leonard Fournette did. And, and I'm starting to eat those words a little bit, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Fournette did have an excellent game for the Buccaneers this week. So good for him after having a really – Pretty much a stinker in his first week. Took him a minute but, to turn it on, though. Took him a minute to turn it on. Late into the game, picked up some big, some big yardage carries, but uh, yeah, it took him a little bit. Yeah, uh, Robinson's just a much more consistent football player on a down in and down out basis. But uh, Cam Robinson, speaking of a Robinson, he has allowed two pressures this year, which is just something that you love to see as a Jags fan. He's come a long way from what he was doing uh, for most of the season in 2019. Meet the Robinsons, baby. I love the Robinsons. And, and Cam has just been an absolute stud this year. I had a, a, a very strong feeling that coming into this year, you know, after kind of rehabbing and, and probably not playing all that well last year because of that knee, uh, this puts you in a whole nother stratosphere for this guy. Just Just seeing... You know how well he's playing. I'm so happy to see it. It's a guy that you want to give another contract to uh, and, and give him time to really see if he can be a cornerstone because I think he can. I think his rookie year we saw a lot of promise. Uh, his second year, obviously, the knee injury and last year, you know, trying to get back to that play. But this year, it's a whole new cam. We're starting to see some of the things we saw from him as a rookie, and I think you have to be 
more than pleased on what you're getting out of him. And, you know, he's been keeping Gardner clean all year. The sacks and the pressures have been coming from other locations, things that, you know, can be shored up on, miscommunication, stuff like that. But as a player, solo looking at Cam Robinson, he has been spectacular this year. Yeah, it's been a sight to be held for sure. Now, got to give a lot of credit to this turnaround on offense. The Jaguars are averaging 28.5 points a game. That's 11th in the NFL, 4th in the AFC. Got to give a ton of credit to Jay Gruden for this scheme he's installed and for the plays he's calling week in and week out so far. Um, But this week, I think it was on the players, and it's always going to be on the players, but just as much as the scheme because you saw guys that were covered, but they were just making plays uh, on the ball despite good coverage. Absolutely. And, and sometimes that's going to happen. And, you know, this is the NFL. Plays are going to be made. So you can't really get uh, too too worked up and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm not trying to say Gruden didn't call a good game. I think he absolutely did. But it's just impressive to see Jaguars offensive players making plays when there's not a lot of room to work with. Absolutely. I mean, the improvement cannot be understated as well. I know that's kind of what you were saying. Um in the grand scheme of things and, and Jay Gruden and all accounts has been one of the bright spots for the Jaguars this year. And I think you can probably take 90 to 95% of the offensive success and, and give it all to Gruden. I mean, you know, that's really the, the main change uh, in this unit and the play call has been amazing. Getting guys in the right position has been amazing. And there aren't too many times you'll see the Jaguars in the top half of the league when it comes to offense. I would be hard-pressed to think off the top of my head the last time the Jaguars were, were averaging, would you say, 28 points a game? Yeah, I mean, even when they uh, had the kind of offensive uh, outbursts, I guess you could say, in 2017, and you know the defense was helping out a lot with that scoring, they still ended up only averaging 25 points a game that year. And uh, like Minshew said after game one, I think this team is still just scratching the surface of what they can be from an offensive standpoint. So that's just, it's been pretty incredible to see over two weeks. They obviously got to keep it going here, keep the momentum rolling. Uh, But one and one after two weeks is a lot better than a lot of people expected for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, Talking about the ugly, for me, the ugly from this one was the officiating down the stretch. Not kind to the Jaguars. You mentioned the Miles Jack P.I. Um, Marone didn't necessarily agree with that one. And then the offside on Clowney that was just not called. He was lined up in the neutral zone, lined up past the neutral zone, to be honest. So that was pretty frustrating to see. Yeah, the officiating was ugly. I mean, I think the Miles Jack P.I. call, obviously anybody on this side of the line is going to say that wasn't P.I. Everybody on the other side is going to say it was P.I. So one of those calls that you can't really put it into the hands of the referees. So I'll kind of leave it at that. Still think it was B.S., just in case anybody was wondering. Um, and then that just blatant missed call. I didn't see it at the time, uh, but after you know, watching the highlights and seeing the game. Like, I don't know how you miss that as, as the line, as a sideline guy, sideline official looking directly down that line of scrimmage. I don't know how you just blatantly miss that on a turnover too. Um, so, I mean, it, it's just absolute, absolutely wild. Um, and, you know, the biggest thing with that pass interference is the NFL couldn't even get 
their, their crap together when they were trying to figure out what is and isn't a pass interference and whether or not you can challenge a bad call. And they took that away this year. So it kind of took away the chance uh, for Marone to potentially get a challenge on that call as well. So officiating all in all in the NFL, you know, you can gripe about every week, but I think that this week there were some key situations that were definitely swayed uh, by poor calls. Yeah. The offside is really the one that's just unbelievable. Absolutely. I just don't know how you can be a line judge and not see that. You you can't it's it, it's it behooves me how do you don't look right down the line and see that the man is is, is almost two yards in, in, in across the line of scrimmage. He's basically on offense at that point. You know, you might as well line him up as an eligible receiver and turn around and run the other way. <laughs> if only they could have done that. That'd been nice. But um yeah, other than that, we talked about the bad, we talked about a lot of good stuff as well, talked about the ugly with this officiating. Some uh, final thoughts for me. Competitive football team two weeks in a row uh, and three weeks in a row, again, dating back to last season. You have not seen that in a long time. They've got to continue to improve. They've got to clean up some of the mental errors that we've talked about uh, from this week. But you've got two very winnable games coming up when you're talking about hosting the Dolphins on Thursday night football, and then going up against the Bengals the following week when you'll have plenty of time to prepare for that one. Uh, I think it's very encouraging. I do. I'm not giving the Jaguars a pat on the back because they ultimately lost this game and they have to go out and prove that they're not losers by beating the Dolphins this week. But if they're able to beat the Dolphins, and uh, clean up some of the mental errors, I'll be very encouraged moving forward. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And my final thoughts going forward, you know, three key things. The first thing is, is special teams. Got to clean up the special teams. I think they will. The second thing is consistency. We need to see, you know, a lot more consistency. And I know it's only been two weeks, so we got to kind of, you know, have a few more games and see where this offense is really going to lie, you know, on the, on the spectrum. Are they going to be, you know, an offense that is consistently moving and scoring, or are we going to see, you know, sputters here and there, and then kind of, you know, some unfortunate plays and stuff like we saw on Sunday. Um, That's going to be a key thing to iron out the rest of the year. And the mistakes that are being made, I think are very easily corrected. I think in the past, you know, the biggest mistakes came from very important positions, such as quarterback, um, you know, and, and that's something that you can't necessarily get over when the biggest mistakes on your team are coming from one player that can basically control the entire outcome. So will they be able to clean up the mistakes around them? And will they be able to, uh, you know, make sure that other leaks don't pop up in other places. Make sure you're not making mistakes in places that you weren't before. Um, those are my final thoughts coming out of this weekend. Yeah, and I'd say just one more thing from me is a little bit of pass rush would go a long way. If you could get Josh Allen going a little bit, you know, getting five pressures in a game, I think it would really help the rest of the pass rush as well because then teams are going to really have to start focusing on slowing down Josh Allen. But Got to get a little pressure on the quarterback. Cannot let them sit back there all day with a clean pocket and just uh, drop dimes down the field. So they're going to have to get the pass rush going a little bit this week. And the Dolphins gave up uh, 16 pressures last week on offense uh, in, a, in a game where the Dolphins came up just short against the Bills. 
Uh, lost by three points yesterday. So, yeah, got to take down the Dolphins on Thursday night. But uh, that's going to do it for the show today. Thank you to Bold City Brewery, the one and only sponsor of the Gin Jag podcast. And uh, thank you to everyone for listening. We will be back on Wednesday with a game preview for Thursday Night Football, the showdown between the Jags and the Dolphins, national television, TIAA Bank Field. Have a good one, Duval. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.